Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, Joel Prusky, BMO's OIS and cross-currency trader, joins me to discuss his views on the rates market, weigh in on the inflation debate, the Bank of Canada's upcoming dilemma, and his favorite trade ideas. This week's episode is titled, what, Me Worry? I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzis at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Joel, welcome back. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. to. This episode is the first one I think we're doing in person. I can see Joel's face instead of just listening to his beautiful voice through my computer. And and hopefully this is uh, a, a little bit more entertaining. Joel's always entertaining, though, so I'm not all that concerned. Why don't we start with the uh, inflation debate? And and things are certainly heating up. I think uh, the moves in commodity prices in particular are, are notable. And, and, and if you look at the move in rate markets over the past few days, I strongly suggest or I strongly suspect uh, that it's being driven by oil prices moving higher and natural gas prices moving higher and, and the energy complex just just really pushing that inflation question kind of front and center right now because I mean it's been out there it comes it goes it hasn't it, I mean it hasn't really been that persistent per se but I think uh, oil nearing 80 bucks natural gas hit a 12 year high earlier today where do you stand on all this well I mean I, like I, I definitely agree with you I think when you look at things like energy, it's something that touches almost everybody, right? I mean, much ink was spilled over lumber prices, mostly by people who wouldn't know what a piece of lumber looked like if it hit them in the head, literally. But energy, you know, we all have to heat our homes. We have to air condition if we live somewhere hot. We have to drive our cars. So I think that kind of hit home to a lot more people as opposed to, oh, let's reading about let's read about things that are occurring elsewhere. But I do think it's important, like the big debate out there has always been, you know, transitive or not transitive. And I think that's the wrong lens. I think that there are structural and cyclical things and you have to look at each of them. And because first of all, you, there's certain things you can do about structural and there's certain things you can do about cyclical. And the central banks of the world have tools that they can deal with some and some that they can't. So I think that no matter what side of the debate you're on, you might be right for a time on one of those two things. The bottom line is at the moment, it feels like structural and cyclical are in sync, and that's painful. I am a big believer that the cure for high prices is high prices. So there are cyclical things that will come down because eventually you will have a demand shock who will say, I will not pay anymore for that. Lumber prices would be a, would be a case Perfect of Perfect example. Like- surging and then just collapsing back down to earth. Sure. So that, uh, that, that, that's a fair point. Cyclical versus structural, good points as well. Um, I guess that the question is, is how long are the structural issues going to last? And that's, that's really where the debate kicks in, I think, and, and, and the question marks are, is, is this six months, 12 months, two years, or is there something kind of bigger going on? There are bigger things afoot uh, in, in kind of structural changes in the global economy, are, are those going to last long enough 
to keep inflation high enough to make central banks more concerned, more more hawkish generally than they have been for 25 years. Sure. <laughs> I mean, they've never really had to engineer a slowdown to, you know, put the boots to inflation Since for, the 80s. for most people's time in this market. I mean, I, you know, and the amount of leverage in the system, I think, is way higher than it was back then. So, you know, incrementally, them raising rates is even more effective. And then they also have to talk about what, what it is they target. I mean, you know, because in the U.S., I think uh, arguably they would say, well, the 30-year rate ARM mortgages is so important. In Canada, it's probably the five-year rate for mortgage reasons. You know, does it matter if overnight's zero or three-quarters of a basis point? The average guy, I mean, he might feel it a bit, but, you know, they, we, we could have a bond conundrum again. And, you know, the Fed could try to raise rates and the curve could flatten because they could price in policy mistake. And at the end, all that does is push real rates even more negative. So I, I think we're kind of in uncharted territory. I think the Powells and the Macklins of the world are sitting there holding their breath saying, we hope this is transitory. And that means maybe another six months or nine months and then things will come back down. But, you know, if we're in a situation where People start demanding wage gains. And I don't mean McDonald's workers getting $18 an hour or $119. I mean, you know, the, the unions start pushing. The average employee, salaried employee says, wait a minute, you know, my grocery bill is going up 15% and I'm doing with less. We have to do something about that. So you said Macklem and, and Powell hoping that it that only lasts six or nine months. But what happens when we get kind of, let's say, six months from now, we're still there. So like I have, I have... September CPI, I'm, I'm getting something in the order of, uh, for, for Canada, something over 4.5% year over year, which is a, a big number. Uh, we, we haven't seen those kinds of numbers in an awful long time. Let's say we're still in kind of 3.5 plus by the middle of next year. So you're talking to pretty much nine months from now. Even if Powell and Macklem are hopeful that it's transitory, is the market going to accept that? At what point does the market step in and say, you know what? I want some premium. I want some inflation premium. I want some risk premium in this. I'm no longer willing to buy your bonds at whatever the yield is. Uh, I, I want more. I mean, it, that would have happened already if there wasn't uh, if there was an available free floating market in fixed income securities, which there hasn't been for the better part of ten plus years. But especially so now, where the Fed scoops up all the supply. If if the Fed well, they, not are, they are tapering. They are, let's say that, and they taper. In, but so in, far, they haven't tapered, and they're still buying that amount of bonds every month. So, arguably, the taper should have started three months ago because all ta tapering is taking your foot off the accelerator. No one's. You're talking about how when do they start putting the brakes on? They can't even start talking about put, taking their foot off the accelerator yet. I mean, at least the Bank of Canada has started down that road, but. The bond market is global, and as long as there's negative yields in Europe. Treasuries look somewhat attractive and the Fed is buying enough of them that the float on them is small enough that yields are artificially kept low. So there's no way out. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think the, I think the central banks of the world, you, you either believe they or you don't believe that they've been politicized over the last decade. If you believe that, as I do, that they've been politicized, then we're embarking down a road that I think will have a lot of Things hidden behind doors once they are willing to open those doors or those doors will be willing to be open for them. And as you say, term premium is one of them. And that could come 
you know, you, we could walk in here one day and rates could move 40 basis points because there is just collectively no bid. And everyone says, you know what, there should be risk premium. And why are 10-year bonds yielding 155 when inflation is still running at 3.5%. And unless you think the Bank of Canada or the Fed is going to embark on an aggressive tightening campaign and really make a policy error, and I tend to think these guys, A, are smart-ish enough, and B, they have masters in Ottawa and Washington that will not allow that to happen because this is not the Fed of the 80s. So that, that's the question for me is, is, and I think that will be the question for the market in the early part of 2022, when we have still persistent inflation, because it's not going away in the next three, four or five months. I, I just can't. There's still way more price hikes coming through the pipe because uh, I, I can see them personally. Uh, anecdotally, I have, I have plenty of those to, uh, to, to share. Uh, and, and in Canada's case in particular, you have uh, second quarter growth was weaker than expected at least. Third quarter will also be weaker. It's not going to be terrible. Trade was was pretty good for uh, for, for August, so that's going to help the third quarter a fair amount. But still, it's going to be weaker than the bank thought. It's hard to believe that the fourth quarter is going to be a lot better. Just, I mean, given that COVID, I mean, it's, it's going to push everybody indoors. We're not going to be fully reopened probably until the spring at the earliest, I think. And so you're still going to have that kind of dampener on activity. And so you're not going to have that full rebound and you've had some disappointment. And so you'll have a disappointing economic backdrop relative to what the Bank of Canada wanted and a higher inflation scenario. And so like, at what point is, is the bank going to say, oh, well, we care more about inflation than we care about growth or the output gap? Or maybe we're just, maybe I should put it a different way. They're more afraid of the tail risk to inflation being kind of a much fatter tail and it being much larger on the upside. And so they need to do something about that before things get too far. I think that's the question, right? I mean, they 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 claim to be an inflate. They claim to have one mandate, which is inflation targeting. We not we both know that's true, and most people listening will know that that's not actual in reality. Um, because if that was the case, you know, other times when we've exceeded target or you know gone below, they would have done something. And they always tend to look through it, usually when it goes too high. So I think I think that's really for the next kind of three months is the question because. Everyone's models will say the output gap has been pushed out. That's a fact. And does that get negated by the still persistent levels of inflation, which maybe still puts us then, if that's the case, we're on track for second half of 2022 for tightening, which is pretty much where we're priced, arguably a little bit earlier than that. I think we have the first full tightening, I would argue, is priced into June because the chorus trades quite a bit below target. And we have now three hikes by the end of 2022. Almost. Hmm. 65 basis points. But uh, do you think that's appropriate? I think if the Bank of Canada tells you that the inflation concern outweighs the output gap, then yeah, then that's probably not appropriate. If they come out this month and say, we still think things are transitory and you know we had a big miss on growth, then I think the market probably has some repricing. Uh, you know. I, I think nonetheless, steeper curves are coming. I mean, I've, that's been a familiar refrain of mine for a long time, and I think it still holds true, maybe because Terp Premium comes back into the market. I, I don't see a world where we pull a T-SIN and raise 100 beeps. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think we're in that world. I think you would kill everything and sentiment above all. You know, we're just coming out of a two-year hell 
the last thing you want people to do, people who've stretched to buy a house, is to just find out that their mortgage payments have just gone up 20%. Because that's inflationary too. That, that I mean, that, that just kind of pushes the dilemma that much further for the bank that even if they are worried about inflation, how much can they really do? Like if, if, if every 25 basis point rate hike is that much more impactful and slows things down that much more than it did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, how, how aggressive can they even be? And it, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that it, it, rate hikes don't do anything on the supply side of the equation, I guess not, not as if it's going to improve uh, shipping times or aluminum prices are going to fall or any of that kind of thing. So I, they, they're they're going to be in a really tough spot next year. I, well, I, I don't I don't envy any of the uh, central bank governors. Well, they're not really that used to dealing with a supply side shock, right? It's it's always been a demand side shock, and the answer is always drop rates, borrow from the future, and when it's the future, it'll be someone else's problem. Supply side's been the other side of the equation. I think, uh, sorry, the, 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 the move in the supply side has been the other way, as in uh, that, that curve has been pushed out instead of coming in. And there, there's been kind of almost unlimited supply of labor globally. And that arguably, I, I think, a big reason why inflation has been as subdued as it has been for, for 20 plus years is that addition of, of to the global labor supply from China, Eastern Europe, you name it, lots of different parts of the world. That's not gone, but not what it was. 20 years ago. And so uh, things are, are definitely going the other way. And you have, again, energy prices. And, and when you already have producer margins under pressure from the first round of energy price hikes, tightening labor markets, and rising general commodity prices, not just energy prices. Plus, you have, I mean, pretty pretty strong demand generally and, and just shortages of, of, of other items. Uh, and then you add in another layer. So this the, the extra layer in this case would be like the latest round of energy price increases. So natural gas moving higher and oil moving another 10 bucks higher. It's going to be very difficult for those prices not to get passed along. I think like any marginal move in prices, any shock you get now will get passed along way more quickly than it would have a year ago. And so the risks to inflation are that much higher. It's hard for me to see things really getting much better from here in the near term, at least almost till the middle of Next year, when the supply issues at least start to improve, you get uh, the semiconductors start to improve. Autos can actually get produced again. Like if you want to buy a car now, good luck. Uh, there aren't any. <laughs> and then the price of pretty much everything's going to go, I think, materially. Oh, not everything, but a lot of things are going to go materially higher. Uh, I just purchased something from my backyard a couple months ago. The guy said, thankfully, we already purchased it. Uh, and I put this on my other weekly this week. But it, it, he just came and he told my wife, he was over in my house today, and he said, oh, good thing you, you already ordered it. Any orders after November 1st are up 30%. Like that, that's a monster price hike. Uh, and so this, this is I, I just a sign of things to come, I suspect. But that will eventually flow through to demand because there are people who will, like, I know household balance sheets are in great shape and there's a lot of that stuff. But at the margin, people will say, you know what, screw it. I can wait. Like it's not if okay, if you sold your car and you don't have a car, you know, you need a car. But if you drive a three-year-old car and you're used to leasing it every three years, you can you can buy that baby back and at the end of your lease and you can drive it for two more years if you have to. So I mean it's a question of adjusting to a, a, a lifestyle. And I just we're in a place that's never really happened before. So, you know, people are resilient and they will figure it out. And I do think you will see that, you know, we had a huge demand for goods at the beginning of the pandemic. And of course, way higher than trend. 
And I absolutely expect that to get to fall off a cliff. First of all, you can only buy so many things for your backyard before you don't need any more. And then the price gets too high. And I think you're going to see the demand for goods go down substantially and the demand for services even that out a little bit. Or we'll start to see a lot more growth on the service side. But we're in uncharted territories here, Ben, I think. You'd be surprised what I can buy for my backyard. <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> staying with the Bank of Canada and the aggressive pricing that the market has, I think it's important to compare that to where the U.S. is, is priced, where the Fed is currently priced. We're looking at something in the order of, of the Bank of Canada being more than two hikes ahead of the Fed, I mean, as much as three hikes. What was the maximum that we got to earlier this year when, when, when pricing got really extreme? And, and how much do you think is even reasonable on that? So I think in the summer blowout, we got to about three hikes ahead of the Fed and, and quite a bit earlier, not only you know three hikes, but three hikes quite a bit earlier than the Fed would start. And we're almost back to that point now. And I think there's a limit, a practical limit to how much the Bank of Canada will hike ahead of the Fed. And I think that limits realistically 50 basis points. I think much after that, it would be hard for them to get ahead there. I do think the one thing that the market in both countries is probably not accurately pricing is if we talk about all the things you just said and that inflation you know stays up here for the next three, four months, and then what they see on the horizon is that it's not coming down. So transitory is we think it's about to come down. And four or five months later, it's not, and we don't, and they and then they, then whatever, for whatever reason their their models show them something different. The market's basically saying, well, the Fed's not going to do anything till the end of 22. And the Bank of Canada is no way doing anything till till June, July. But there's a lot of runway between now and June in Canada if they really believe that, you know, the lower bound is not necessary at the moment. And maybe we're not embarking on a 200 basis point hiking campaign every three months, but maybe we want to get rates from zero to 50 pretty quickly and see what happens there. And the Fed can also very quickly change their tune. I mean, people make a mistake of, first of all, believing what they say. What they say lasts about three days at the most, and then regular market forces take over. But also, just because they said something three weeks ago doesn't mean it won't change three weeks from now. Things change. That's called life. So I think when you look at things like, you know, aggressive three hikes priced by the end of this year in Canada, it's hard to quibble with that possibility. But to sit there and say, well, nothing's going to happen until June. And you have things like, you know, March meeting trading around Target. I mean, seems to me like that's being a little on the aggressive side in terms of how little you're pricing in to the chance of a hike earlier than June. I guess it's a question of how much the bank believes inflation dynamics have changed from the past decade. And we, we you know, we don't, if, if they're we, living, I don't think they're going to know by then. We, I think that's part yeah, of it. Yeah. There is a risk there. I, I do agree that if maybe things change and maybe even it's maybe I'm not worried enough about inflation. If like I'm if I'm even wrong from that perspective, inflation heats up even more, then I could see them uh, being a bit more concerned. But uh, even in my scenario and, and inflation stays north of three and a half percent, because that will still be down a point from where we'll be in September. So you'll still be seemingly trending lower, whether we are actually continuously trending lower or not, I don't know, but seemingly trending lower, that that should ease their fears at least a bit. On the pricing, how, how do you view positioning in Canada right now? Because that that's, I mean, at the end of the day in Canada, if you don't know that, you don't get much. And that's what caused that blowout in the summer. Yeah, I think uh, positioning position. overall is definitely cleaner uh, from what it was in the summer. Summer, you had, you know, a lot of guys who were all long and it just, you know, were getting the satisfaction and you had some crazy 
you know, price action where Canada was selling off on days the U.S. was rallying. And I got that. I don't get the impression at the moment that position is, positions are too one-sided. You know, we're going back to those cheaps. But I think the difference now is after guys getting blown out, the, the levels we're at now is where they're starting to get into the trades before they were in it at quite a higher level. All right. So you'd, you'd look at receiving like one year, one year, Canada, U.S. or something. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I think that's probably, you know, the area that, that would be the most attractive. Any other trade ideas? You know, trades I like at the moment. I mean, there's some stuff in uh, OIS. I mean, we're starting to really compress NPR to non-NPR meetings and, and then really blow out the non-NPR to NPRs to such a point that I think we're getting in the risk reward is uh, is just getting a little bit skewed. I mean, every meeting is live according to the Bank of Canada. So I think as those uh, spread of spreads meetings start to blow out into almost 10 basis points, you really look to fade that. The cross-currency curve is as illiquid as ever, uh, all flow-related and lack of dealer risk taking. So there's a whole bunch of weird stuff there. If anyone's really interested, they can speak to me. But I mean, you know, we have things like one-year cross-currency gaps of, you know, the six-year one-year versus seven-year one-year is positively sloped, but five-year one-year, six-year one-year is negatively sloped. Like really weird stuff. It's a, it's a micro level, but for the right, you know, guys, it's a trade. Other than that, I think rallies are made to be sold. And I think, you know, you pick your spot in Canada, it's the belly. It's fives, it's tens. Because, you know, if the Bank of Canada is aggressive, fives will get two, but it doesn't mean tens are good value. Like, you know, I, I get that when you open trading for dummies, it says when Fed hikes, curve flattens. But that's usually because we're at such a steep level to begin with. This is some of the flatter curves we've ever had. So I'm not sure that putting on the flattener at any price makes sense. It might not sell off as much as three-year bonds might. But um, other than that, uh, you know, I don't, I think the market has um, been becoming less and less tradable and more and more risk averse. I mean, I think it got started getting bad in 2000. It got really bad in 08. Got a little bit better. But I mean, since this stuff has happened, it's gotten worse and worse. And dealer tolerance for risk is really low. And it makes it a lot harder for the miners liquidity providing a lot. But what does what it does mean, and the positive thing is dumb things tend to get dumber. And the dealers le- not willing to warehouse risk means things can get really crazy. And you just have to be on the lookout for that stuff. And what you know, what I consider low-hanging fruit trades that used to come around once every three to six months, I think come around once every month now. Yeah, well, that, that's good to know. We'll, we'll have to watch your, your morning emails. Not just in my world either. I mean, it's bonds, it's swaps, it's everything, right? There, there, there really is, there's no desire to take risk anymore. There's no such thing as a good trade. A dealer takes a trade, it's a, considered not a good trade. Let's get out of it. And I think that leads to choppy markets, which leads to opportunities you have to be patient. You have to have your eyes on the ball for when it does come. On, on the uh, NPR and on NPR, I think uh, anything beyond the first hike, I think then, it, then that those kind of gaps make no sense. The pricing the big, big premiums in, I guess the or, or more rate hikes in the NPR meetings because they can go back to back meetings after the first one. The first one has to probably be in an NPR meeting because I suspect that's just how the, what they want to convey that messaging. But after that, the curve probably should be a little more, I guess, linear. Well, I mean, they could fix it. They could just have a press conference after every meeting and remind everyone that every meeting is live and the market will be more liquid. If if we're going to go to RFR from CEDAR and that's going to happen one day, can't be done without a liquid front-end OIS market. No. 
And at the mar- at the moment, the bank account is doing everything they can to prevent that from happening. Well, we'll pa- we'll keep pounding the table on that. Next time you come, I'll let you talk for twenty minutes on that one. Uh, Joel, good uh, good to have you. Thanks for coming Thanks, on the show Dan. again. It's a and, pleasure. Uh, great to see you in person. Always. Thanks again. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interest in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.